You're listening to Different Things Can Be Sad. Hello and welcome to Different Things Can Be Sad, where it's cool to care about politics and pop culture. I'm Yasmin Lomax. And I'm Micah Hahn. And we are the hosts of this monthly podcast. As it is monthly, we like to kick things off with a little recap of the month that has been. So, Micah, how has September 2022 treated you? Um, It's been pretty good. (laughs) I went back to Montreal for a week to see some friends that I haven't seen, one of whom I haven't seen since March 2020. Um, And it was really lovely. I picked up my diploma, which was very cool, and like somehow got it back despite the fact that it's like very long, but like... Was it in a tube or how did you transport it? It's in like a cardboard like sleeve and it was going to cost like 50 bucks for them to mail it to me. So I was like, no, 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 I will do this myself. Yeah. Um, And it all worked out, but I don't think I will ever find a frame that is the correct size. So yeah. Why, why are frames number one, so expensive, but two, like, they seem to be in set sizes, and now I have realized that like posters and diplomas, yeah. and certificates, and everything are like a variety of sizes. It's very I think difficult. Learning how to cut mats on frames is a very vital skill. It turns out, so you can actually get mm-hmm. your art to like look nice. Um, a skill I do not possess and should get at some point. That seems like one for later in life, though, right? That's like a. I agree. Exactly. Um, I also traveled in September. I went to Frankfurt, Germany to get my visa renewed. So I am back in New York now. Yay. But it was an interesting week in Germany. I tried green sauce. I don't know what the German name for it is, but it's like the Frankfurt city's famous dish. And it's sort of like a fresh kind of herbaceous sauce that I had with interesting yeah I had it with boiled potatoes and hard-boiled eggs it was a is it very like creamy dish. or like oil based it's more creamy but it was like the whole okay. dish was was that it was like a pool of that with stuff around it it was sounds very European it does it does uh, but it was pretty good so that that is something I will recommend if you're in Frankfurt, Germany ever. And then I got to spend a few weeks at home with my family in Ireland, which was lovely. Got to hang out with my puppy who is now nine. So not a puppy and barely mine. She much prefers my dad. So, (laughs) you know, but I also got some time to do, you know, a lot of reading, watching and listening while I was there. So let's, let's move on to that. Let's talk about the things we Read, watch, and listen to in September, starting with books. What did you read, Micah? Um, I read quite a few things. Um, I will do a quick shout out um, to let you all know that you should definitely take Yasmin's book advice because House of Hollow, the book that Yasmin has been recommending for a year now, is fantastic and is like so much you fun. You like it? Um, I read it in like two days. I really should have been doing other things, but I like sat down to read it after lunch on the second day and just finished it. It sucks um, you in, right? Yeah. It's perfect if you're like in a little bit of a book slump. Um, it like really draws you in. Um, speaking of book slump, the book that put me in a book slump. Oh, no. Um, 
Yeah, is uh, Bright Ray of Darkness by Ethan Hawke. Ethan Hawke, the actor who you, if you listen to this podcast, know that I like really enjoy his work and I think he's really interesting. Um, And I saw he had written a book. He wrote a book like 20 years ago. And this book is like the same characters, but 20 years in the future. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was like curious. And the reason why I read it was I read all these reviews that were like, angry that it was so good they were like it's so annoying that this guy is a good actor and he wrote a book about acting and it's a good book like unfair oh like when um, i read crying in h mart and yeah i was thinking how can you make beautiful music with japanese breakfast but also write the most beautiful words i've ever written it's not fair exactly um and so i read like i was i'll pick it up um the book is about um a famous actor who is dealing with the fallout of cheating on his even more famous pop star wife um and all while this is happening he is performing in his first broadway um play which is a production of shakespeare's henry the fourth um i like i think because it's so obviously based on Ethan Hawke's life. Like Mm -hmm. it's about his divorce with Uma Thurman, like obviously. Um, And that like tinged it a bit. Like I think the thing that really bugged me was how he described women. I found it rather offensive, honestly, Um, which I know he like doesn't like in other settings, like he doesn't kind of treat women as means to an end, but in this book, that's definitely what they are. Hmm. Um, and yeah, some of it was just kind of gross. Um, I understand why it could be interesting, but it was like, sometimes you read a book and you're like, oh, this is for men. Um, it's not for women. Um, and that's always kind of like, or just for anyone in general. Um, so that was kind of, that put me into a slump, but then I like read House of Hollow and I'm like right back into loving reading and, um, excited to read more. Yes, that author, Crystal Sutherland, has just announced like the cover of her next book, which I think is coming out like next summer. So very excited for that one. I believe it's also YA, but it's about witches in London. So uh, a little step from House of Hollow, but very excited for that. I read two really great books in September, so... I want to share a little bit about both of those. The first one was Pizza Girl by Jean Kyung Fraser, and it follows an unnamed 18 years old pregnant narrator who lives in suburban Los Angeles and works in a pizza shop. And I think the the this character is so unique, and the dynamics around her is so unique. So she. Is pregnant, but is like pretty much in denial of that, is mm. not thinking about the future at all. She's grieving the death of her father, and then she's living with her mom and her boyfriend, who are both extremely supportive, which is not often portrayed in these yeah. kind of stories, but they're supportive to the point where they're stifling her. And it ends up with her developing an obsession with one of her customers at the pizza shop. I don't want to say much more than that. And honestly, there's not like a ton more to say. It's more of a sort of character study book. But 
I really loved it. I read it as an audiobook and I will not forget walking around the Frankfurt Botanical Gardens, literally <laughs> gasping aloud when I got to like the climactic scenes in it. It is a really different book is mm-hmm. and I mean that in a great way. It is just something I haven't I haven't really read that story before and I really appreciated that. And then the second book I absolutely adored. And I mean like it is one of my favorites mm-hmm. of the year so far by a lot is Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow by uh, Gabrielle Zevin. I'm sure I you've heard about this. I want to read this. Yeah. It yeah. looks so good. Everyone is talking about it. You know, I'm sure everyone in your lives, listeners are talking about it. It's the one with the iconic wave imagery on the front and the sort of pixelated rainbow uh, type. So it's a really striking mm-hmm. cover. And I was apprehensive about reading this because I'm very cautious about hyped books now after being burnt yes. by Colleen Hoover and everything else on Book Talk. Uh, some of those are literally unreadable. But mm-hmm. I remember John Green talking about this on his podcast yes. and calling it like a once in a generation novel. So I was like, okay, this is, I'm ready for this. I'm excited. The thing that also made me a little apprehensive was that it's about gaming. So we follow Mm -hmm. two friends, Sam and Sadie, from the time they meet as children to their like mid to late 30s. And the foundation of their relationship is always video games, which, you know, I'm not a gamer. So I kind of thought this would be boring at best, alienating at worst. And it is absolutely not. I think the gaming is woven in. It's definitely strong, but it's woven in a way that you understand what's going on and you're invested in what's going on. And I think like, even though it's written in a different style and I don't want to like compare the two at all, it gave me the feelings of normal people where you just get so sucked in and invested in these people's relationships. But interestingly in this, there's like none of the sexy stuff from normal people. It's almost like replaced with video games, but it still feels just as intimate, if not even more so. You just start to care for and understand these characters so much through the lens of video games. So I don't want to overhype something and get you disappointed, but I honestly (laughs) don't think this one will disappoint. It's amazing. Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow by Gabrielle Zevin. Please go read it. Amazing. Yeah. How about watching? How was the the visual mediums? Um, it was not a great month for movies. Um, mm. I didn't watch that many because I was like away for a, mo- a week. Um, right. The one movie I watched before I went away to Montreal that I like really recommend. I think it's wonderful. Is Fire of Love, which is a documentary about two French volcanologists, like experts in volcanoes um who love each other and maybe even more than that they love volcanoes oh um and you learn very early in the more in the movie that they like die for their love of volcanoes together and so it's a love the whole movie is like a documentary love story about the love story in between them and their love of volcanoes and it's like beautiful and wonderful and like melancholic at the same time um the husband in this duo was really into um, film and um, like documenting their experiences. They kind of paid for their way through 
traveling to volcanoes by making movies. Um, so it, the Fire of Love uses all of this archival footage that they mm-hmm. collected um, to kind of tell their story. And it's just wonderful. The narrator is like has such a lovely voice. And I would definitely recommend that if you're looking for like a doc to watch. Um, so sorry, just can we go back for a second? Yes. Do they get like lavaed up? Is that what happens to them? They don't really tell you exactly what happens. Um, like there's an explosion and they're too close. Ooh, that I sounds like lava. There's two types of volcanoes. There's like red volcanoes and gray volcanoes. And red volcanoes right. are the lava kind. Yeah. And those aren't actually that dangerous. They're like very slow yes. moving and like all of that. They die in a gray volcano, which is like the big explosion-y, like, like rocks falling and everywhere. Ash and type stuff. And ash, right. Yeah. Um, like Pompeii. Or the one um, that caused all that problems in Iceland. Do you remember that like yes. month where no one could fly in Europe because that <laughs> volcano went yes. off? Um, so that kind of volcano. But I promise you it's not too sad. And actually, it's very charming at times. Um, so I would recommend that. Um, I know we both watched one of the movies that made me lose faith in movies a little bit. Um, and that was Don't Worry, Darling. Um, yeah, we did. Which... The internet has talked about it a lot. Um, it's fine. I would like if you want to go see it, go see it. Like, sure, will not be harmed by this movie. Unlike, I just this is a PSA for the people. Don't go see Blonde. Um, it's bad. Um, I like rarely like. I try really hard to not like say movies are bad because there's a movie for everyone, mm-hmm. and like. People like what they like. Um, at least this is something I'm like attempting to do. But Blonde, I would call it a deeply cruel movie mm. that hides its cruelty under like this facade of being like cinematography interesting. Right, like a right. cinematic movie. Um, and there was a point in it where I thought to myself, dear God, please let this end. And it didn't. There was another hour and a half. Um, oh, no. So, yeah, just like it's. It is where, like, honestly, take care of yourself if you want to see it because it's, like, really hard to watch. Um, uh, yeah, unfortunately, that was my month in movies, but I just wanted to warn people because I know people love Marilyn. And, like, <laughs> if you didn't know, you would just be in for a real shock. Yeah, um, yeah, I bet yeah. that would not not be so fun. Um, did you watch, um, like, nice, happy things this month? Um Sure. Yeah. I, you know, speaking of Don't Worry Darling and Harry Styles, who is in it, and <laughs> I'm sorry, not as bad as everyone's saying. I think he does a fine job. I think there's much bigger problems with the movie and the fact that it makes no sense. But yeah, I watched After Forever Happy on Amazon nice. Prime, a uh, title that I believe a Letterboxd review wrote. This title made me think I forgot how to read. After Forever Happy does not make sense. <laughs> as a string of words but relating to harry styles this is the latest installment in the after franchise of movies which are based on books which are based on harry style fanfics so amazing mm -hmm. Uh, in the past four years there has been four movies so far there is 
one more in the main series to go, I think. And then there's like prequels as well. So we're going to get a nice. lot of the after universe. I really wanted to see this while I was in Frankfurt because it had a limited release in theaters. And I actually traipsed to three different cinemas to see it, but I could not find an English language version. No. So I had to wait till they it was dubbing it. Yeah. Okay. That's, I was incredibly confused by this because I just assumed it would be like when I watch a movie in a different language in that it is spoken in their language and I read the subtitles in mine. But I was incredibly surprised to find out that all three theaters, I think one of them had an English version earlier in the day, but in like the evenings, they were only showing it in German, dubbed. So that just felt unusual to me. I really didn't think that was how... They did it, but I was wrong. I thought I know that's how they do it for kids' movies, but this is okay. Yeah, because kids can't read, but this is not a kid. Yeah, <laughs> yeah uh, Harry Styles fans, we can read. So this <laughs> this was strange, but this movie is also strange. It follows on directly from the last one, where Harden has found out a dark family secret and now he is growing even darker if you haven't guessed Harden is the Harry Styles uh Mm. insert uh and eventually drives his girlfriend Tessa to New York which is definitely not New York it is very clearly Bulgaria where they had to shoot the movie uh due to COVID restrictions uh, there's also a fun bit where it's revealed that he's been writing the after books the whole time. Like the after books <laughs> exist in their universe and he's the author. It is some real Wattpad stuff, but you know, that's what it was. And I had a fun time and I'm excited for next year when the next one drops. Amazing. In terms of like actually good fun stuff, I've been watching the Great British Bake Off slash baking show, depending where you live, is now back and... It is delightful. We're back in the tent. We're watching them bake. It's a lot of fun. It's very pleasant. So if you need a palate Um, cleanser from all that, Bake Off is around. As a side note, my favorite tweet about Bake Off this year is something about like in the British Bake Off universe, the queen is still alive and these these people don't know yet. Um, True. They filmed it a lot earlier. Yeah. Yeah. That is funny. Listening, our last one before we get into the main hashtag content. What have you listened to this month? Um, I've been listening to a newish podcast called 20 Whatever, um, which I have really enjoyed. It's from uh, YouTuber Sierra Schultz. Um, Sierra Schultz has been on YouTube for like eons. Um, she makes like lifestyle, body positive stuff. Um, and she hosts the podcast with her friends, Ryan and Paloma. It's like a relaunch of her old podcast. And I really liked her YouTube content. I find it very like calming and positive and lovely. And I was a little hesitant about listening to this. I have no idea why. Sometimes you have mental blocks. Um, and I found it honestly really refreshing. Um, they talk about like a different topic every week, but the main kind of theme is about what it's like to be in your 20s in the current world we live Mm. in um and they cover everything from like body positivity to musical theater um and what's fun and interesting about it is that like sierra is married she's a kid she's like 25 um and ryan and paloma are like 
social media actresses in LA. Um, and so they're in very different places in their lives, but still like dealing with the same kind of like doubts about what you're supposed to be doing with your life and like kind of figuring it out as a 20 something woman in this world. Um, and I like find myself nodding along a lot and being like, yeah, that is how I feel about my life right now. And like, it's nice to hear other people also feel that way. Um, so I'd recommend that if you're like three girls chatting and like, clearly they're very much friends and like, it's very positive and nice. That does sound cute. I have mainly been listening to my own playlist. I got to give myself a little shout out. Um, It's called Fall Vibes because it is finally fall now. So I can really immerse myself in some of the faves. So it is full of like Stevie Nicks, the Twilight soundtrack, the Gilmore Girls soundtrack, Taylor's Folklore and Evermore. We've obviously got new Taylor coming out next month. So we will definitely be talking about that in the October episode. But I think we'll have to post about this on our Instagram and Mm -hmm. seek some more fall music recommendations from the listeners. Welcome to politics. Um, As you know, if you listen to this podcast on a semi-regular basis, I love a good election um, from municipal to federal to from small blips on the radar to international headlines, love an election. Um, Side note, uh, if you live in Vancouver, the local elections are on October 15th. You should vote in them. Voter turnout is low. Every vote counts. Please do that. Um, We're not talking about local elections as much as I have been nerding out about them for the last month. Um, Unfortunately, we're going to be talking about some headline uh, elections that uh, maybe are not such great things. in Europe this month, we have seen a rise of, or uh, the victory of a bunch of far-right parties. Mm-hmm. Um, and you may have seen the headlines, but I thought I would do a little bit of a deep dive into who these parties are and who their leaders are and kind of the context of why this is happening. Um, so what is the far-right? We've been talking about it a lot the last, like, since 2015 is kind of when the far-right became a big thing in the news um there's like a couple things that like make a party a far-right party and those differ depends country to country the general kind of markers um is first often populism so this idea of like the people are should be at the center of governing um it shouldn't be like elites who are running who are running the country it should be the people and the people is often means a very specific type of people, namely, like, the white people who founded, I'm saying this in quotation marks, a nation. Um, Populism is more complicated than that, but that's a a beginning um, tied to this kind of um, nativist, nationalist, populist turn um, is a big anti-immigration push. Um, We saw that, like, in Europe, um, anti-immigration became this huge touchstone for the far right as the um, Syrian civil war brought millions of asylum seekers to Europe. Um, Another kind of layer of far rightism is this anti-wokeness bent. And that's like um, kind of unlike in America where it's like 
against people who are in the country and like these ideas that are forming in the country. Um, Anti-wokeness in Europe often looks like this idea that outside forces are bringing in these ideas into our nation and we shouldn't have them. So um, that often looks like um, being against the expansion of rights to marginalized peoples, um, including like LGBTQ rights, gender equality, civil rights. um, And they argue that like these ideas are not like X country's ideas. They're like from elsewhere and we shouldn't let them into our country. And the far right has kind of ebbed and flowed a lot over the years. Um, Like many other social movements, political scientists like to talk about the far right in waves. So like the first wave you would kind of uh, think of as the interwar period. So in between the first and second world war, when Nazism became quite popular, obviously. Um, And then people say we're in our fourth wave right now. And the fourth wave is often... Um, tied to that anti-immigration sentiment, but what makes it unique from other waves is that this is the first time that far-right ideas have really been mainstreamed since that interwar period. Mm-hmm. So, like, center and center-right parties are using the, like, far-right discourse of anti-immigration in a very way that's super commonplace and, like, is part of just general political discourse instead of being on the fringes. So that's a little intro to far-right politics. Um, The first country that we saw this um, far-right victory is Sweden, actually. And we kind of think of Sweden as rather progressive, right? Um, And it is, like, it has been run by, like, a left-center-left coalition for many years now. Um, And coalition is kind of the operative word here. Sweden, like many other European countries, is run in a coalition government. And so that means that, like, a bunch of parties have to work together to Mm -hmm. um, form government. And that often means that, like, smaller parties could have a huge amount of sway if they gain, like, a certain percentage of the vote. And that's what happened with Sweden's far-right party. Um, So this – I'm very sorry about these names. I'm sure they make – they're a little different in Swedish, but in English, the – former party that was running the left-wing center left-wing party was the social democrats oh i fully thought you were about to say like you're about to butcher it this like a swedish no 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 we're doing translated words here i'm not speaking in swedish i'm sorry um so the former party was the social democrats more lefty run by a woman though we will get to later have been run by a woman does not mean you're progressive um and the far right party is called Sweden Democrats. That's confusing. Very. I'm sure it's better in Swedish. Um, or not. Maybe that was on purpose. Um, so the Sweden Democrats have been around since the late 80s. And in the late 80s, they were formed by a bunch of neo Nazis and white supremacists who wanted their own party. They made it. Very quickly, um, the party to gain like some amount of respectability or like purchase in general political discourse denounced nazism and the racism and we're like we don't believe in these things but we still have the same policies Hmm. um they've been growing in support for the last 12 years and generally their party has been virulently anti-immigrant 
like blaming all of Sweden's issues on immigration um, and specifically racialized immigrants. And they've also been rather anti-EU and anti-NATO. Um, the anti-NATO and anti-EU thing have changed a little bit with the, like very recently with the um, Ukrainian-Russian war as Sweden, I think we talked about this last episode, Sweden is attempting to enter NATO in to protect itself from uh, Russia. So, like, Russia's put a little... has changed the dynamic of the far right a bit, because often the far right, like, supports authoritarianism, and Russia's a great example of a successful authoritarian regime. Um, but also invading Ukraine is not really, no one really supports that. And mm-hmm. so you've seen kind of a move away from Russian support a little bit from both the Swedish and the Italian example. So this kind of increase in popularity of Sweden Democrats um, can be attributed quite a bit to their leader, Jimmy Axon. Um, and he has been leader since 2005. Um, when kind of given when being asked about what his party is for um, recently, he said that Sweden has been a great country and a safe country, a successful country, and it can be all these things again. It is time to give us a chance to make Sweden great again. So this is a theme that you see with the far right is this co-opting and borrowing of language from other far right, right wing movements. And so, they take make America great again and make Sweden great again. But you see kind of in that quote of like, he wants to have a great country, a safe country, successful country. The safe thing is like really part of it. And it's safe from whom? From immigrants. Um, So there's been this rise of gang violence or at least publicized rise of gang gang violence in Sweden. Um, And people have been tying that gang violence to new immigrants to Sweden. And so the Sweden Democrat party is very, much like immigrants make our country unsafe. And so therefore we should allow less people into Sweden. So they want to um, make it less easy to claim asylum in Sweden. So you can no longer, they don't want you to be able to claim asylum for religious or LGBTQ persecution. Um, They want to increase jail sentences and they want to increase deportations. Um, They really they kind of front themselves as advocating for normal people i.e. sweden like natural born swedes in quotations um and that means like a very hard line stance on immigration i will say that like doing this research many people have said like oh this is sweden's far right party um like use the far right often to describe them but there are some people who say that they're not far right they're just kind of right wing but the counter argument to this is actually, no, the right wing has just adopted far right terminology. And so now to be right wing is to in some ways be far right. So the distinction is blurred. So that's like a thing to think about when you think about like, uh, how do we label all of these parties? Yeah, that's um, super but interesting. Yeah, so that's the, yeah, um, that's the Sweden Democrats. They... Um, in the vote this month, they got the second largest percentage of the vote at 20.5%. The Social Democrats got 30% of the vote, so they were the highest. 
But because the government is formed through coalition making, the right wing coalition um, got 49.5% of the vote and the left wing coalition got 48.8, which means the right wing coalition by like less than a percentage of the vote will be forming government. Um, and because the the Sweden Democrats got such a huge portion of that, they will be like instrumental in deciding who is prime minister, deciding what the policies are. Like they have such a sway in that coalition now. Um, That's which scary. means we'll probably see that kind of anti-immigrant push be very prominent in Swedish politics in the next couple of years. Um, so that's Sweden. Two weeks later, the Italians had an election. Mm -hmm. um, Italy is like famous for coalition politics. They have like dozens of parties, like so many. Um, and so again, forming that coalition is how you win. Um, and since the 90s, the center right and the far right have been working together um, to like form their own coalition. Um, and the three main parties are the Brothers of Italy League and Forza Italia. Um, and Brothers of Italy is a, some call it a nationalist party, some call it a far-right party, some call it a fascist party. Um, they were um, been gaining popularity for years. Um, and in the election, won 26% of the vote, which was the most out of any party, and their leader, Giorgia Maloney, will be Italy's first female prime minister. Um, two weeks before the election happened, uh, there was polling that showed she was going to win, probably, and Hillary Clinton was at the Venice Film Festival, and she said to the Italian press, the election of the first woman prime minister in a country is always... Oh, represents a break with the past, and that is certainly a good thing. Um, there's been a lot of criticism of this um, because it feels very girl boss, but make it fascist. <laughs> um, and many people have been calling Maloney like Mussolini too. Um, if you were on Twitter the day after she won, lots of Mussolini jokes flying, um, maybe a little insensitive, but also if you saw Twitter the day after the Queen died, similar shenanigans was happening. Um, so who are Georgia Maloney and the Brothers of Italy? Um, the Brothers of Italy formed in the 90s, but they are very much part of a fascist um, movement that has existed since uh, World War II. Mussolini was the big fascist leader of Italy during the mm -hmm. Second World War, and his party was banned after the Second World War. But unlike Germany... Like, Germany went through this process of denazification. Yeah. Where they, like, obviously had the Nuremberg trials and they teach in schools about how bad the Nazis were mm -hmm. and, like, this whole process. Italy didn't go through that, so fascism is still, like, much more accepted. Interesting. Um, The slogan of the party is God, Fatherland, Family, which is very indicative of Mussolini's own politics it also has um, like big instagram bio uh energy like <laughs> if you go to like a religious southern school and your bio is like that little purple crucifix emoji and it's like jesus first like love america love my family or something and it's like godfatherland family yeah. yes mm -hmm. um but you know much so. in that sense make it yeah i guess their one is like 
a lot less related to Mussolini, but <laughs> that little emoji could come in handy. It could. Um, they do like their symbol is the same colors as like Mussolini symbols, and so like oh. some good branding happening there. Um, even though they deny being fascist quite often, hmm. which is interesting. Um, in a interview with the Washington Post, Maloney said that there's a leftist ideology, so-called globalist, that aims to consider as an enemy everything that defined you, everything that has shaped your identity and your civilization. I think this quote like really well captures everything she's about. Mm. Um, she's about defending Italian values. That's like a very American phrasing, but like is apt here. Like a defending the Italian homeland and the Italian people from these ideas that are coming from outside. Um, she's very much against like anti-LGBTQ and gender equality. Mm. Um, in where the brothers of Italy have um, gained power in local politics, they've worked really hard to restrict abortion access. Um, they're also against what they would call anti-global mass migration, um, they like use a like mildly less eugenics-y term, but they're against ethnic substitution, which is this worry that like the Italian people, because they don't have enough children, will be replaced by migrants. And so they need to do everything in their power to increase both increase how many Italians are born and decrease the amount of immigrants who come into Italy. Oh, that and is part of that is so ick. The ick off it that. is very ick. Um. And that, like, comes with a very typical kind of far-right idea of, like, restricting abortion rights or in reproductive rights in general. But it comes, like, in this dual way, right? Because you want um, Italians to have more babies so they shouldn't have access to birth control or abortion. But immigrants should not be having babies in this philosophy. And so it means forcing on these reproductive methods. And this mm -hmm. is a, like, a duality that is really central in reproductive justice this is a little bit of a tangent, but I like find it really interesting. Um, and we see this in like other more like far right and right wing politics of like in the U S um, we often see like this demonization of black women having children. Um, whereas this like desire for white women to have them and like not being able to access abortions and stuff like that. So there's an interesting duality when it comes to reproductive justice there that is like very much tied to the far right. Um, so yeah, that's Italy. Um, she has gained power and we'll see like what happens, um, in kind of other, uh, like the, the Sweden situation kind of people were like, oh, this seems bad. And then with Italy, like a lot of countries came out and, made like whatever statements they could because you can't say well i don't respect the italian democratic process but you can say like i support women's rights so mm -hmm. the prime minister of um france came out and said like we will be monitoring the abortion rights situation um the u.s secretary of state like made this very measured statement where he was like i respect the like i'm congrats to the italian people for like having democracy um i hope that like our shared values of human rights continue um a very like underhanded kind of thing um this thing about like respecting the democratic processes i think key 
often when we think about like the rise of the far right, which has happened quite a bit, um, people like point to voter fraud or like this isn't like the real and just thing that is happening. Like this isn't a reflection of democracy. But I think it's really important to note note that it is like there are reasons why people are voting for the far right and they're real reasons. And some of it is because of this wave of immigration and like this worry about being replaced, which like is founded often in racist views, but like is a true fear people have. Um, but also like, like in the past, um, th- support for the far right is driven by economic instability. Mm-hmm. And we are, especially in Europe, like facing so much of that right now. Inflation is crazy. Um, And there's this energy crisis coming down the pipeline. Like it's already begun, but like winter is coming and Europe doesn't have access to natural gas in the way it used to because of the war. Like there are real reasons why people are scared about their stability and their ability to um, like live a good life. Mm -hmm. And so they're going to the far right to say they have solutions. Um, Part of this, I think experts have pointed out that unfortunately there isn't a like another good alternative sometimes. Like the left doesn't seem to be providing the solutions and the messaging that is both appealing, but also like practical maybe. Not that I say the far right is practical in any way, but like their messaging is much more appealing to many people um, because of the situations they're in and like, the left is not meeting the challenge. Um, and I think, yeah, to stress, people are voting and this is what they're voting for. And there's a reason why and like some compassion as to why like the situation people are in is, I think, useful, especially moving forward. Um, moving forward in, <laughs> in European far right politics, um, obviously Sweden and Italy aren't alone. Hungary and Poland have had far-right governments for quite a while now. Um, And those are, like, falling into authoritarianism. Like, Hungary, like, whatever you can say. Like, there's some democratic rights being taken away. Um, Other countries are going to have free and fair elections soon. And, like, people are very worried about Spain and Finland's 2023 elections. Where, like, in Spain, the Vox Party is gaining popularity and they're also far right. And in Finland, there's also been some worries about that. Um, and yeah, so keeping an eye on it, um, and noting that like the current situation we are in, like means that we need solutions that speak to everyone. Um, not just like the people who, can benefit off of the current suffering that we're going through i'm sorry to leave us on a negative note but i think it's important to be aware of the world we're currently in absolutely thank you for that Micah. i think that is definitely something to keep an eye on as we go forward So on to the pop culture corner of the show. This has actually been a really big month for pop culture. There's a lot of Mm -hmm. standout moments. And I want to talk about three of them. But I wanted to find a through line, right? I, I normally just do a deep dive into one topic. But 
these three were interesting and I wanted to find something that connects each of them. And the thing that I landed on is babies. Now, I want to be very careful. I am not like, I don't want to like center an innocent child, some of whom are not yet born in these very messy and scandalous stories. It's just a bit of fun way to connect them, right? And we all love babies. Me and Michael love discussing fun baby names, which is definitely at Mm -hmm. the core of this, I would say. Actually, yeah, that's the real, the real core of this is the baby names. So (laughs) without further, further ado, let's talk about the first big story of the month, which is Queen Elizabeth dying. Uh, One could argue Mm -hmm. this is more of a politics story, but it pushed very into pop culture this month. It did. And the reason is Trisha Paytas. Well, it's one of the reasons Mm -hmm. anyway. So let's start. Who is Trisha Paytas? Michael, you might actually be better at describing uh, who Trisha Paytas is because as we know, you're the YouTube girly. I am not the YouTube girly here. Trisha Paytas is confusing to me. She's like an OG YouTuber. She mm-hmm. was she the like machinations of YouTube friendships and uh, politics. Very confusing to me. She's always been controversial. I think that's part of her. She's like supports weird political people. Um, has weird opinions, uh, but always is somehow staying on the trends and like continuously popular yeah from the research i was doing it seems as though one of the things that helped her kick off originally was these like trolling videos like she was making videos talking about how she was gonna vote for Mitt romney back in 2012 i want to say just because you know Mm -hmm. and there's been like a lot of controversies down the line she's had some sort of like tangential connection to uh david what's his name david dobrik dobrik yes i am dobrik dobrik sounds familiar i am not that a, is correct not yes. a youtube girl she had a connection to that whole scandalous thing uh she had a lot of mukbangs i was reading that she outed an ex for being gay without his consent and there was a video where she was identifying as a chicken nugget So a lot of controversies there, but what we really want to get to is Trisha in 2022. So she's now, uh, actually she goes by she, they pronouns. So I might use a little bit of both throughout this. Trisha is now 34 and has 5 million YouTube subscribers. And last December they married Israeli photographer and YouTuber uh, Moses Hackman. And this month in September, Trisha gave birth to the couple's first child. Now, we will get to the queen bit, but the first reason reason this baby made so many headlines is because their name is Malibu Barbie, which really, really Mm. got people talking. Now, the couple had talked about some other names they had considered for their baby, which were Zohan after the Adam Sandler movie, Ice and Diesel and Keanu for a boy. And then if they were a girl, Kate after Kate Bush. Uh, Trisha's pretty into uh, Stranger Things. 
And Renezme, <laughs> which I have to respect. Renezme gets a lot of respect mm-hmm. for me with the Twilight Connect. And they landed on Malibu Barbie. People are outraged. But I kind of don't think it's as bad as everyone else seems to. Like, obviously, this name was going to be outlandish. It's Trisha Paytas. But yeah, sure, Malibu Barbie is a doll. But breaking it apart, there are plenty of place names, you know? Like, Brooklyn's a name. Montana's a name. There are plenty of places that have that lend themselves to especially girl names. So why not why not Malibu? It's actually a, a Native American word that means the surf s- sounds loudly. So I don't have a problem with Malibu. And Barbie as a diminutive of Barbara isn't unheard of either. So if we kind of don't think about it as the doll, I <laughs> I'm not going to fault her for Malibu Barbie. I don't I don't have much of a problem with it. But Connecting this back to a larger discussion. The joke on the internet became that this baby may be the reincarnation of Queen Elizabeth. Yeah. Yes. So Queen Elizabeth II, Britain's longest reigning monarch or whatever. I am not a royalist, so I really don't want to get into this very (laughs) much. She was 96. She died. Her dogs are still around and her son Charles is now king. But back in February of 2022, a TikTok user uh, with the name Smurfy underscore Murphy made a video with the text, Queen Elizabeth holding on for dear life so she doesn't get reincarnated as Trisha Paytas's baby. And this was kind of funny because <laughs> like, you know, Trisha was expecting a baby. We were kind of thinking the queen is getting on in years. So her death would not be a total surprise. Coincidentally, the news of Queen Elizabeth's illness and death on September 8th came right after Trisha Paytas tweeted that she was one centimeter dilated on September 7th. So naturally, everyone had a lot of fun with this. There were so many memes on Twitter about this baby being the reincarnation of Queen Elizabeth. There was even a rumor that... Trisha had had the baby and named it Elizabeth, but eventually, (laughs) yeah, yeah. People were like constructing fake like tweets and Instagram captions of her being like, just had a baby, so happy, her name is Elizabeth, heart emoji. But Trisha did have to come on on the 9th and say she did not have the baby yet. Even people like her dad were messaging her being like, wait, you had this baby and you named him Elizabeth and you didn't tell me? No. Trisha did not have the baby. They were born a few days later, and their name is Malibu Barbie. But I really enjoy discussing such a large and complex story as the queen dying through the lens of her maybe being reincarnated as a YouTuber's baby. I just think that is ridiculous and fun. Wouldn't that have been cool? Right? Okay, second big story. The men are cheating. This dominated the news. Yeah. They really are. So, the big man doing the cheating. Or alleged cheating. It's alleged cheating at this stage. We want to be careful here. Adam Levine uh, is the front man of Maroon 5. I think the only Maroon we know. I don't know the other four. And (laughs) Maroon 5 are pretty good in like 2002. But for the past 10 years, we've been getting the likes of moves like Jagger. So... 
you know, that's Maroon 5. Yeah. Since 2014, he has been married to Bihati Prinsloo, who is a Namibian model best known for being his Victoria's Secret Angel. And they have two kids, Dusty Rose and Geo Grace. And Bihati is now pregnant with their third child. Do you see how, like, the baby the baby connect yes. is coming in here? Yeah. Now, things got messy this month when 23-year-old model Sumner Stroh alleged she had a year-long affair with Levine and shared screenshots from his verified Instagram account to prove this. Mm-hmm. The, I think, spiciest one being where... Allegedly, months after the affair ended, he messaged Sumner asking if she would be okay with him naming his baby Sumner if it is a boy. Which is just, that seems to be like the straw that broke the camel's back. And then she was like, okay, Mm -hmm. I'm I'm doing a TikTok about this. It's actually a very cute name. It means Summoner. And according to Nameberry.com, it was actually most popular as a girl's name in 1997. But maybe like Adam Levine thought that naming a baby girl with someone who is he may have had an affair with was not okay. But a baby a baby boy is like one step, you know, away. So that's yeah, that's fine. Um, so that's the little baby connect there. I do want to talk about the rest of the story though, because it got very very interesting. Other women ended up coming forward to share their own flirty messages from Levine. And a bit like the Trisha Paytas slash Queen Elizabeth reincarnation uh, baby story, it became a massive meme. So some of the messages were cringy. There was one that was like, I may need to see that booty, which I just thought was very funny. Um <laughs> The biggest meme one was him, or allegedly him, typing to someone, holy fuck, holy fucking fuck, that body of yours is absurd. And then people would like include a picture of, I don't know, E.T. or something. Spongebob. Yeah. 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 Very funny. So Adam Levine responded to the affair rumors on his Instagram story with this. A lot is being said about me right now, and I want to clear the air. I use poor judgment in speaking with anyone other than my wife in any kind of flirtatious manner. I did not have an affair, nevertheless. I crossed the line during a regrettable period in my life. In certain certain instances, sorry, it became inappropriate. I've addressed that and taken proactive steps to remedy this with my family. My wife and my family is all I care about in this world. To be this naive and stupid enough to risk the only thing that truly matters to me was the greatest mistake I could ever make. I will never make it again. I take full responsibility. We will get through it and we will get through it together. Now, a lot of people had a problem with this. I think uh, it is not well written. I am kind of confused between I did not have an affair. Nevertheless, I crossed the line. I'm not really sure what that definition is is like i think that means the dms are real but maybe he didn't do anything more than the dms i guess it depends on your definition of affair it is yeah very interesting um the regrettable period in my life it's always a regrettable period where you know there was probably something else going on uh 
And then the thing that people really had a problem with was the, we will get through it and we will get through it together. Selling Sunsets, Chriselle Strauss tweeted, when apologizing for cheating publicly, I hate the, we will get through it together part from a man. Don't speak for her. You've done enough. And I think a lot of people Mm -hmm. didn't like that. It seemed to um, place an unfair responsibility on someone who hasn't done anything wrong in this situation. So that was interesting. They have, uh, you know, been appearing publicly together. Maroon 5 have now announced a residency in Vegas. So maybe they, you know, uh, yeah, it looks like they are getting through this. Uh, Another reason being because there was another man doing some uh, cheating this month. Micah, were you a Try Guys fan? Uh, Not actively, no. Right. But I, like, have watched some of their videos in the past. I feel a lot of us are in that boat. So the Try Guys were four guys, now three, who Mm. started on BuzzFeed and then... uh, moved on to their own platforms and they would just like try different things. And one of the guys, in, <laughs> one of the guys in the group was Ned Fulmer, who was the wife guy of the group. And of course the wife guy was the one who had an affair with a woman on the uh, Try Guys production team. So People were a little devastated about that one. He also did not have a great statement. He talked about losing focus on his marriage. And I'm like, what? So like a marriage is a bit like driving a car where like your your <laughs> eyes need to be straight ahead and your hands need to be at 10 to 2. Otherwise, you're just going to like swerve into an oncoming vehicle. I don't really get that. I, my favorite part of this was NBC, like the actual NBC Twitter account tweeting a picture of Pam and Jim from the office and quote tweeting this apology saying, um, I lost focus and had a consensual workplace relationship. It was insane. Wow. They really, they really use them for their, their marketing. Yeah. So yeah, um, that is the men doing stuff. Uh, I don't know if we can legally call it affairs or cheating, but there has been some interesting behavior. And it is honestly quite sad that there are kids at the center of this. But the only reason I bring them up is because there's a there's a through line. And I think uh, Sumner is a very interesting name. And it seems to be the, you know, the real kind of kicker in this that maybe this wouldn't have all come out if he hadn't gone a little bit too far and tried to name a baby after someone he maybe had an affair with that seems a seems a step too far for my third and final story the kardashians are back this month the second season of their hulu show has premiered uh which means we're gonna get weekly headlines because they're always given little tidbits in these episodes and i feel like the news just eats it up for about a week afterwards So the big focus of the first episode was Khloe Kardashian about to have a second baby. And she is not the only Kardashian sister to have a baby this year. We had Kylie and Khloe welcoming new children. Kylie in February with rapper Travis Scott 
and Chloe in July with basketball player Tristan Thompson. More on that later. But yeah, both of them have these have been these big stories sort of shrouded in mystery, and the show has been this month has been the thing that's kind of started to like open the door on it. So Kylie first. Her first pregnancy with daughter Stormy back in late 2017, early 2018 was famously private. People were driven literally crazy speculating Mm -hmm. whether she was pregnant or not. I remember finding out that she had the baby in a CVS on Super Bowl Sunday. It was a (laughs) very memorable moment. It's uh, like one of those, uh, where were you when Michael Jackson died? Uh, I can tell you where it was when I found out Kylie Jenner had dropped that video to our daughter and said that she had a baby. So this pregnancy was also pretty private. A little less so. I mean, the first one, like, we didn't know if she was pregnant or not. This one, she was, um, you know, just not, like, appearing as much. And the most private bit about it, though, has been the baby's name since being born in February. So originally, it was announced that her baby's name was Wolf. And Kylie talks a little about this in the second episode of season two of the Kardashians, saying that herself and Travis were struggling to settle on a baby name. And it was like right up to the deadline where they had to start filing papers so they could get the birth registered. And her sister Chloe had suggested Wolf the day before. And they liked the WW together because uh, Travis's real name is Jacques Webster. So they were going to be Wolf Webster. So they went with it and announced it. But then a little while later, Kylie was like, the baby's name is not Wolf. And we have not found out why. Uh, There was some speculation that it was the result of some saltiness with Australian influencer Tammy Hembrow, who also has a son named Wolf. Uh, Tammy was in the Kardashian circle. She actually modeled for Chloe's Good American Jeans line quite a bit and was famously pictured leaving Kylie Jenner's 21st birthday party on a stretcher, which was uh, apparently due to exhaustion. Fair. Mm. But they have not really had a strong relationship since then, it seems. And after Kylie named her baby Wolf or announced that the baby's name was Wolf, Uh, Tammy was like putting up TikToks earlier this year. She was pregnant at the time. And someone commented, I just know that you are naming your baby Bentley. To which Tammy replied, actually liking the name Stormy at the moment. So (laughs) yeah, she seemed to be a little salty that the name had been used by someone she knows, which like, Little side note here, Micah. How do you feel about that? Like, what is your line of how close someone would have to be before you'd be okay if they named their kid the same as yours? I think it would depend on how unique the name is uh-huh. and like how far apart the kids are. And like, what's what would be bad? Like, say you're pregnant, you've like announced that you're going to name your kid like this unique name right and then someone else you know gives birth and names their kid that name before you have a chance to officially do it that's a little salty but if you're naming your child like george and someone you know has a like four years later names their child george you can't be upset about that 
it's a very common name or like it's a normal name. Totally agree. And I think it depends like how close that person is to you as well. Like I think if it's your own family member, they should not use the same name. Like I don't think I would use the same name as anyone in my extended family. There's actually a very similar celebrity drama that I'm actually just wanting to pull the details of up. Yeah. uh, Both Lauren Conrad and Zoe Deschanel have called their babies Charlie Wolf, which is interesting. So again, another wolf drama, which is very funny. Like wolf is turning up again. I feel like everyone should just stay away from wolf. It does not seem to be a drama-free name. But Mm -hmm. Yeah, Lauren said Lauren Conrad said that it was uh, a coincidence that uh, Charlie was a family name for her, and Wolf came from her husband's side. And then they like realized later on that Zoe Deschanel also had a Charlie Wolf. And then, very interesting, uh, a former Bachelor in Paradise star also named her son Charlie Wolf. So there is like three celebrity Charlie Wolves. So a lot of Charlie Wolves, uh, the wolf in this situation has been given a new name, but we don't know what it is. It was actually almost revealed in the second episode of season two of the Kardashians, but Kylie held back saying they still wanted to maybe do a little bit of finalization. But people have been guessing There is one theory that the baby's name is Snow or Snowy. Yeah, because in the new series, uh, when Chloe's daughter, True, meets her baby brother on FaceTime for the first time, she says, hi, Snowy. And Chloe's like, that's not his name. But now people are thinking that maybe she knows another baby named Snowy. Mm. Maybe it's her cousin rather than her brother whose name is Snowy. People have guessed like literally everything else. Um, Kenny after her sister Kendall. Uh, Jacob after dad Travis Scott's real name Jack Webster. Uh, Knight with a K as in like Knights of the Round Table because an Instagram account people thought belonged to Kylie's nephew Mason Disick said that the baby's name was Knight. And Mason is known for being a little uh, freewheeling on the internet. So he's a little bit of a troll. Yeah, that is interesting. I also heard a theory of people thinking that the baby's name is Astro because uh, Travis had... Astro World. Yeah, had an album called Astro World, but then had a festival where people were killed at a crowd crush called Astro World. And the reason they don't want to announce it is because there would be uproar but i don't think i really believe that one because i don't know at what point you could ever announce the child's name like i don't think you're ever going to be for like far enough away from that event it would like being the maker of the titanic and then calling your baby titanic like it's a hundred years later we all still remember it you know Mm -hmm. so i think night is kind of compelling because it ties well with stormy stormy night But we'll have to wait and see. I think it may be revealed on this episode of, not this episode, this series of the show. I think that would do ratings wonders for them. Second Kardashian baby, Chloe. As I mentioned before, uh, Chloe had a baby this year. It was in July, and this was her second child, the first via surrogate, though. And uh, this child was also with her now ex, Tristan Thompson, who 
I'm just going to go out and say it, is not a good guy. He sucks. Mm -hmm. So he cheated on Chloe during her first pregnancy, and she actually found out 48 hours before going into labor. And then she found out in the first episode of, sorry, the first season of the new Kardashian show that Tristan had impregnated someone else and was going through the courts to sort all that out. And when she found out that, they had just a Mm -hmm. few days ago begun their surrogacy journey. So some of the sisters have been saying that it almost seems like he trapped her or it's just like very odd, very manipulative behavior to know that you're having a baby with someone else somehow managed to conceal all the court stuff and everything and then convince your like partner to have a baby with you or like not convinced, but like agree to have a baby with your partner while you know that someone else is carrying your baby as well. Bizarre behavior from Tristan. So they're not together anymore. And the first episode of the new season is all about that. You know, how she came to terms with this blow, her family's reaction, and eventually like, getting excited about welcoming this baby who again has a mystery name. We don't know what this baby's name is. Um, The only thing we know is that Chloe wanted the name to begin with a T to match uh, older sister true. Uh, Interestingly, Marilyn Nichols, the woman who Tristan Thompson also had a baby with this year named her baby Theo. So, Mm. and Chloe also had a boy. So, not sure what the baby's name is. Uh, older sister Courtney Kardashian Barker, I guess now, suggested Tiger or Tig at the baby shower uh, that's depicted in the series. And I think that's like maybe our most promising option. Mm. Would be kind of upset because I personally like it. And I feel like once a Kardashian has used the name. Yeah, you can't use it yourself. No, I think like some of them are fine. Like I think you can use Mason and Penelope because they're like fairly common names but i don't think you can call your kid like north or chicago or saint or stormy or stormy or true without it being uh very obvious where you got that inspiration from so yeah they are three major news stories that i have managed to track via the babies that are sprinkled in there we've got the queen passing uh we've got the men acting strange And we've got the Kardashians back. But I do want to give one final shout out to another baby that was born this month. (laughs) Um, Alec and Hilaria Baldwin have welcomed their seventh child together. Wow. Yeah. And this baby's name is Ilaria, which I think is very interesting since the mom's name is Hilaria. Actually, her name is Mm -hmm. Hillary Thomas by birth. Um, There was a whole drama, if you remember, in December 2020 where people were claiming she was faking being Spanish. She was often, like, speaking in accented, uh, in a Spanish accent. There was a time where she forgot the English word for cucumber on the Today Show. But as it transpires, her she was born as Hillary Thomas in Boston. And <laughs> now we have baby Ilaria. So, um... That's an interesting one. Somebody uh, said that her name on Twitter said that her name being Hilaria and the baby's name being Ilaria is hilarious, uh, which I <laughs> quite liked. 
But, you know, it is just wanted to present that one there. I think just to reiterate, lots of very cute, innocent babies at the center of unfortunately very messy stories. So wishing them well. And this is just a, a fun little way to round up some of the some of the wildest stories we've got this year, honestly. It has been a big month. Alrighty, that is it for another episode of Different Things Can Be Said. Micah, what are you going to be up to uh, in the time between now and when we hear from you next month? Um, what will I be up to? I'll be enjoying fall. Yeah. Very excited. It's been beautiful and sunny. Um, I will be settling. Oh, I guess I, I moved. I'm going to be settling into my new apartment. Nice. Um, which I'm excited about. Um, my favorite holiday for the food and the family, um, Canadian Thanksgiving, not for the colonialism, um, is happening. So I will be enjoying that, hosting a Friendsgiving, hopefully. So it should be a good time. Cute. I like it. I think mine's going to be pretty similar. Um, lots of fall vibes and celebrating my favorite holiday for everything, which is Halloween. So (laughs) very excited about that one. If you would like to catch up with any of our adventures, our Instagram is at DTCBS Podcast, and we also have our own personal accounts. I am at Yasmin Lomax. I'm at Micah Hunt. And we will see you next time. Bye. Bye.